Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. Today, I had a great talk with Chloe Hill. She is a pediatric speech-language pathologist from Southern California, and she works in a private clinic where she sees student ages two to seven years of age. We talk all about reading intervention strategies, and she shares some very actionable tips and strategies, whether you're a professional or whether you're a parent that you can start doing immediately after you listen to this podcast. We know that we want our students to love and enjoy reading and make it a process that's fun while they're learning. So she gives us those strategies that you can use either in the classroom or therapy environment or also in the home environment. Chloe has a great Instagram, Chloe Elizabeth SLP, where she shares about these strategies and what she's doing in her therapy. You guys are going to love, love, love this episode. Let's get started. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. All right. Thanks for joining us on episode 23 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Rose Griffin, and I am here to help you learn strategies you can use in your therapy sessions tomorrow to help your students. Today, we have Chloe Hill with us. Thanks for joining us, Chloe. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you on. I have definitely been a bit of a fangirl on your Instagram because I talk about social media a lot on the podcast because I feel like, you know, I'm always on Instagram (laughs) and TikTok and all the things. But Chloe has such a beautiful and inspiring Instagram with all the the different activities that she shares with her students. And it's just really, really amazing. So I know you're going to talk about that in a little bit here. So could you tell us a little bit about you and your journey into being a speech therapist and your journey into the autism world and working with students with autism? Yeah. So, well, first of all, I'm Chloe. I work in a pediatric clinic right now. So I see kids two through about 17. So I get to work with a lot of different kids. So that's really fun. I love working with like preschool language. I love social skills, all kinds of language stuff. I became an SLP after I did my minor in deaf studies and sign language. And then, so when you have that as your minor, they have you take an intro to communication disorders class. And when I was in the class, they talked about different professionals 
and different career paths in that area. So when I learned more about speech pathology, that's when I decided to make that my major and have sign language be my minor. So that's how I got interested in it. And before my mom is an educator and before she became a teacher, her she actually started out majoring in communicative disorders. So I heard a little bit about it from her too. Oh, that's great. I love that. That's so wonderful. My mom actually gave me a career test. She (laughs) is a teacher and that is how I became and learned about speech therapy. I took that Mm -hmm. career test and it said, you should be a speech therapist. And so I really didn't know what a speech therapist did. So that's so cool that we have that connection that your mom. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like some people I know in my grad program had heard about it when they were kids or they wanted to be it since high school, but I didn't know much about it until college. Oh, very cool. So at your clinic, do you work with a lot of students with autism or autistic students? And has that been a big part of your career? How long have you been practicing as a speech therapist? I've been a speech therapist for six going on seven years. I have been working at a clinic for over a little over four years. And before that, I was in the schools. Right now um, in the clinic, I do see a lot of um kids with autism. And then I also, when I was in the schools, I used to be in a, um, an autism self-contained, um, preschool and kindergarten class. So I did get a lot of experience there also. Oh, that's nice. That's great that you have that school-based and clinical-based experience. Very cool. I love that. Well, you've been posting such cool stuff on your Instagram about reading and reading strategies. And I knew that that would be something that people would really get a lot of value from because I know that sometimes it can be hard to know how do we work on reading strategies? What are things that are really helpful, especially if you have students who are early learners, who are emergent communicators, who are starting to read. So I'm really excited for anybody that's listening that's a professional or a parent because I feel like a lot of the things that I know we're going to talk about, things that we can do professionally or things that we can tell parents to work on, that's going to be really great information. So today we're going to talk about reading strategies. So Can you tell us a little bit about pre-reading or emergent reading skills, what that might look like or what that might entail? Yeah. So I think it's important to know about these skills because I think a lot of people, parents included, and also professionals, if they haven't been learning too much about reading, is that it starts when they're school-aged or the teachers will teach it in kindergarten so we don't need to worry about it before. But um, there's actually research that shows that pre-reading skills can start developing even as an infant. So if we're not giving those opportunities and keeping those in mind, that can make it harder when kids start going to school. So pre-reading skills are considered um, narrative skills. So like their ability to tell stories, print awareness, understanding like there's print on signs outside, on books, on cereal boxes, vocabulary, phonological awareness, so understanding letter sound correspondence, letter knowledge, and print motivation. So just being interested in books and wanting to explore. Oh, okay. So those are really good. And I mean, from a parent perspective, I have three kids of my own. So we always try to read a story each day, try to embed literacy. And those are all really important things that I talk about too, just training-wise, that with, even if your child is nonverbal right now, that shared reading and enjoying books together is going Mm -hmm. to work on, like you mentioned, working on social skills. And that's such a nice time to work on joint attention and social reciprocity. And I think sometimes that can be overwhelming for professionals because 
they're not sure how to embed literacy when they're working with students who are a lot younger. So are there certain books that you like or certain titles that you find enjoyable that, you know, that lend itself to that type of working on pre-reading skills? Yeah. So with, so I work on these skills. I just meet students where they are. So sometimes I'll have older students that are still in that emergent reader area. And so I definitely tailor it to their age as well, keeping things something that they're interested in. But for my little ones, um, like I said, I see kids who are two, three, four. I love to use books that are, especially for kids that are kind of new to exploring books. I love books that have like touch and feel book. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of those books that are lift the flap. I know there's like, where's spot books Mm -hmm. with the dog, books where they can touch it and explore. And even if they are still getting those pre-reading skills and they might not be aware of the print yet or interested yet, they are interested in exploring the book because they like that tactile feedback and that kind of anticipation that comes with the lift the flat books. So those are usually my favorite and also repetitive books so that there's not too much of a story to follow, but there's enough of a story that's interesting, but there's still things that children can expect as you're reading. So it's not too confusing. Yeah, those are great. I know I have a couple younger students that I see in my private practice and the Mm -hmm. lift the flap. I have a student that loves trucks. And so I I sometimes bring this book that has lift the flap and Mm -hmm. he loves it. He thinks it's super fun to explore the lift the flap. And there's so many different ways that we can embed communication opportunities within those type of activities. And I think that's good too for parents to see how we can use literacy, even if a student is really young, like two, that's, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, how fun to work with. That is super (laughs) fun. I love that. So when you work with somebody that young, do you typically have the parents involved in the session or do they come back towards the end for parent coaching or what does that look like? I'm just kind of curious. So it depends on the student. I love having the parents back because I think it helps to create not only like a connection with the family and that trust, but also so that parents can learn different strategies and be part of the session with us. But I also have some kids that are like, some kids are just very independent and like to come back on their own. And then I'll have parents come chat with me the last like five minutes of the session and I can let them know what we did and how to work on it and some things that were really positive and maybe something that we need to practice at home. So it just depends on the kids. Some prefer their parent back and some just run right back to the room alone. Yeah, no, that's great. That's the one thing. I do work in a school three days a week and then two Mm -hmm. days a week. I have my own private practice, ABA speech, but I do like that part of private practice where you do have that easier way to communicate with mm-hmm. parents so that they can be involved as it it makes sense for each client. I And I understand what you're saying. Every student is a little bit different. I have a student right now that I'm seeing that when I first went to his house, he wouldn't even talk to me and mm-hmm. he wouldn't be anywhere kind of near me. He was yeah. like, who is this person? It was very, he was too... He had never been in school, you know, with the pandemic, then he never went to preschool, you know, a whole Mm -hmm. thing. And now this student really likes to just kind of be with me and do the sessions with us. And so I think Mm -hmm. that kind of familiarity is nice and to see that kind of growth. But I think that's great that every student is different and it's nice to be able to model these strategies for parents. I love the idea of repetitive books too. So something Mm -hmm. like Brown Bear, Brown Bear, that would be repetitive. Have you ever used the book, I Went Walking? Have you heard of that book? 
It's really I haven't good. used that book before. Okay. It's really good. I can't believe I feel so old, Chloe. You've been a speech therapist six years. Oh my gosh. I'm going on 20. Okay. I say I'm seasoned now. That's what I'm going to say, but I'm feeling old. <laughs> I Went Walking is a really nice book for anybody listening to. It is very repetitive in nature too. And it's a really nice book because it has simple words that once your student mm-hmm. starts verbally imitating or having some emerging verbal communication or even with a device or sign language. It's just a nice repetitive book. So that's another Mm -hmm. one. You'll have to check that out. I love that book. Okay. So those are good ideas for pre-reading, kind of these emergent reading skills that it Mm -hmm. really starts even in infancy. And these are things that you can work with older students too. I love that. And trying to make sure we're doing things that are you know, based on our students' motivation. I talk about Mm -hmm. that a lot. Okay, so can you talk to us a little bit about reading strategies that we might use in the classroom setting? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that you can use reading in the classroom. So I know a lot of teachers will do like a morning meeting type of activity. And so what I like to say is for that, it's a good way to work on like for early literacy, it could be working on like print awareness. So what you could do is pair all of the pictures that you're using. If you're doing like a weather activity, you could hold a picture of the sun, say the word sun, and then draw their attention to how to spell it. So that's an easy way to, if you're working with younger kids, if you have like a preschool or kindergarten class, it's a good way to use reading and to work on those phonological awareness skills and also letter knowledge. And then with kids where you're just working specifically with books and read-alouds, I like to encourage parents and teachers to use dialogic reading. So that means instead of just reading and having the children listen quietly, what you're doing is creating a dialogue with the students and encouraging them and prompting them to ask questions, make comments, and um, it even works on vocabulary, expanding utterances. And that type of reading also focuses more on comprehension and less on fluency, but it also helps promote like a more enjoyment of reading rather than reading at them. You're kind of engaging them in the process. Oh, I love that. And I think that's what, when you were posting on Instagram, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is really good information. (laughs) I think people would love this because I remember last year we did an ASHA course with Ashley Rossi and she talked Mm -hmm. all about literacy. That's a big thing that she um, shares on her platform. And people were so very intrigued Mm -hmm. about how she's using literacy and what strategies she's using. And this idea, I loved it because we were talking kind of about diversity, which I'm sure we'll get into too with literacy choices and things like that, that a book can be either a window or a mirror, right? That we want to think about using books that are diverse because sometimes if you are a more diverse learner, you may not see yourself in the literature. And I I just listened to a TED Talk about that. And I thought that was really um, interesting and something to be cognizant of, you know, and I know a lot of people kind of share some of those books that might be helpful for that, but kind of analyzing our bookshelf, right? And making sure that we're kind of Mm -hmm. doing that for our students. But I love this idea of the dialogic reading. So what are there different strategies that make it that? Or can you talk to us about if we're doing a session as a parent or a professional, what do we need to include and what might that look like when we're working? Is it just with one student or can we do it in a group as well? Mm -hmm. You can do it with a whole group. So like a class read aloud, or you can do it one-on-one. I only see kids one-on-one. So that's how I use it right now. But in the past, in a class setting, or if you're a teacher with a whole classroom of kids, you can definitely do it that way. And so with dialogic reading, there are specific types of prompts that they lists as things to use. They use the acronym CROWD. And so the first one is a 
completion prompt. So that is leaving out the last word in a sentence. So the example, a brown bear that you are giving, since every page has, what do you see? You might say brown bear, brown bear, what do you and then leave it off and let them finish the sentence. This can be good for like younger kids where that repetitive structure is important. Another prompt is a recall prompt. So that's asking them about something that's already happened. So you can either do that where maybe I'll use brown bear again if it's they saw a goldfish and then you turn the page and you might say, oh, what did this guy see? Or what did we see on the last page? Something to help them with that. Or if you're working with a student who has read the book already, before you start reading it, you can say, what is this book about? What happened when we read it before? An open-ended prompt is also a good one. So that's asking a question about like a picture on the page. And instead of like, what is that? Where there's only one answer, you might say, what's happening here? And then so they can tell you kind of more of a narrative. Mm -hmm. You can use a WH prompt. So that's just asking WH questions, who, what, where, when, why. And then a distancing prompt is asking questions and that have them connect to their lives. So if I'm reading a book about a dog, I might ask the child, do you have any pets? Tell me about your dog, things like that, where they are relating the book to their lives. So those are the specific prompts that are included in dialogic reading. There's definitely a lot of wiggle room and those kind of encompass a lot of things, but those Mm -hmm. are good things to keep in mind. So you're not always asking, what is that? What is that? What is that? But you're mixing them up so that it doesn't feel so much like a quiz and it's more interactive. Right. You want to be like, okay, this is enjoyable. I remember I I went to hear Sherry, Shari Robertson, who used to, uh, a former ASHA president a long time ago when I was first starting out as a speech therapist and she was talking about literacy and she was talking about a parent who was just feeling very defeated because they were trying to do reading with their child at Mm -hmm. home. And it was very difficult for the child. And, you know, Shari was saying clinically, you know, we really just want your child to enjoy the process. We want them to be able to choose books that they like. And we know that once school gets started, depending on the language level of your your student, that, you know, we're going to have to read some science books and some social studies books and whatever it is. But we do want reading to be something that is seen, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as fun and a leisure. So, but I think these are really good strategies to think about because it can be hard to know, well, yeah, you're right. Like, I feel like I'm always at asking the same question when I read this book, or I feel like I'm always doing this activity the same way. But even if you're a speech therapist and you're listening and maybe you're doing a book activity with students, I love that crowd kind of acronym because oftentimes, especially as school-based therapists, we're seeing students who have differing abilities, who have, you might be in a, in a, a group setting where you have a child who's reading and you might be in a group setting where you have a student who is a non-reader. And so I think it's really nice to see these different ways that you can have this one main activity, but that you can encompass all these different language skills based on the student's language level. So I think of it too, like when you were saying what each one meant, I'm like, oh man, this sounds really nice if I'm doing like a push-in therapy lesson in a group setting. So I think that's great information. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. I would even print it out and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Because Chloe, on your Instagram, you have the nicest themed lessons. I definitely, my therapy (laughs) room doesn't look anything like that, but I do think it's a nice (laughs) idea for inspiration where you share things like, oh, this is a nice theme and you can tie this book into this and this sensory bottle or all the Mm -hmm. different cool things that you share. So I love that. That's really going to be helpful. 
Um, so talk to us about some reading strategies that people can use at home. So at home, I always encourage parents to, like I said, and like you were saying, to make it enjoyable and not to make it feel like a quiz or that they're doing something wrong. I also like to encourage parents to not necessarily need to read each word on the page or have the child read each word on the page. If there's a book that I think my kids would be interested in and has really engaging pictures, but there's a ton of text and it would be overwhelming. Sometimes I will ad lib and I'll reduce it and make it something so that we're pointing out keywords, but it's less pressure because I'm not asking them to read more than they are comfortable with right now. Um, so that's another way is if you look through a book and you're like, these pictures are great, the story's great, but there's just too much text for my child. You can definitely reduce the amount of text. You can make up your own, just point out keywords. So they're still getting that reading experience, but they're able to enjoy it more and not feel as much pressure. I love that so much because I don't think that everybody think that way or would think that it would be okay to read a book that way. And the example I have from my own personal association here, I feel like I'm using our little uh, crowd acronym, is that my husband will read a book to my kids at night and he'll read it word for word for word. And it could be like a really long book. That's not it. That I have three kids. So not at my kids' language level. They're not going to mm-hmm. absorb all that. And when I read the book, I just inherently, probably because of all my schooling, right? Yeah. In the helping profession, <laughs> that I just ad lib, like you're saying, I'm just improvising. I'm telling mm-hmm. the story. We're looking at the pictures, but I'm not reading it word for word. And I think some people don't understand that it's okay to do that, that there's a mm-hmm. lot that you can get out of this literacy-based activity, especially in the home environment, making it something fun for your kids, allowing them to choose books that they enjoy, but you don't have to read it word for word. So I think that's such a great idea and, and just telling people that because for some reason, I feel like we all become rule followers in that mm-hmm. moment. And we do, we try to read a word for word. I don't know what we think is going to happen if we don't do it that way. <laughs> So I think that's really good. So would that be your main, kind of your main feedback for parents at home just to make it enjoyable and... Yeah, I would say make it enjoyable. Um, There's other ways too. I know at the school that I used to do an internship at, we had some props for books and I print out and make my own. But like if you were reading The Hungry Caterpillar and maybe you have a stuffed caterpillar or if you go outside and see a butterfly, making it relate to their lives. So it's something that they are interested in and want to talk about again, rather than something that maybe isn't super relevant to them. So that's another way that you can make it more fun using like costumes. If you have pretend play type of things, if you're reading a Cinderella and maybe you have a princess crown or things like that to make it connect to their lives so that they're talking about it and interested in it even after the book is put away. So you know they're building that vocabulary. And also just to remember, I think it's important for parents and professionals to remember that, you know, I think reading isn't just about like being able to decipher each word, but it's also building, like you said, the enjoyment of reading, also narrative skills, even if they aren't reading every word and you're making up your own, it's still telling a story. So they're learning those narrative skills. Vocabulary building is important. So there's a lot of things that can be gained. It might not be reading fluency, but it will be something. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point is that when we have something that's literacy based that we're working on a whole host of skills. Mm -hmm. I know that I do a speech therapy group uh, once a week and we always start with an adapted book on the smart board. And Mm -hmm. I am kind of doing this, these reading strategies that you're talking about because some of the students are able to read and some of the students are Mm non-readers. And I just work on their particular goal within in that kind of group setting, but we always start with something literacy-based because there's so much that you can work on, even from a vocabulary standpoint, exposing Mm -hmm. our students to these new words. And I love the idea of like the props and things like that. And I don't know about you, and I know it's during a pandemic now, but pre-COVID, our library here in Ohio would have kits that parents could actually check out. That would be, yeah, that were like a book and it would have extension type activities. So Mm -hmm. it might be something like props, like you're talking about. And it was neat. And they had, I'm sure like, you know, once this pandemic is over, uh, my (laughs) uh, my area in Ohio um, definitely had that. So you might want to check out just your local library that they might have certain things like that. So. That sounds super fun. Okay, so I love those ideas for the home. Um, What are some ideas on how to make reading more engaging? I know that we probably have a lot of professionals or parents that are listening, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, the second I I have a book, you know, my child doesn't want to sit down or I've definitely been that person that is kind of trying to help some speech therapist as more of a consultant. And that morning meeting time is really hard because sometimes students, especially autistic students that I've been helping to support, may not want to sit. You know, do they have to sit for the whole time? How do we engage them during that time? How do we make them want to engage with the activity? Mm -hmm. So what type of feedback or strategies do you have for that? So for one, I think if you're, when you're working with kids that may not want to sit the whole time, I usually say that's fine. Like you can stand up or walk around, get sensory input. I don't think it's important for, I I think we need to remember like for teachers and um, SLPs to remember that even if a child's not looking at us or sitting, you know, on the ground watching us, that doesn't mean they're not understanding or absorbing what we're saying. So I think even if I have a child who maybe turns around or stands up or is um, playing with a sensory toy, it doesn't mean they're not listening. So I just keep on with what I'm doing and I'll check in to make sure that they're understanding and that they're engaged. I think that's an important thing to remember with everything that we do is, you know, we all learn in different ways and process information differently. And some kids prefer to be sitting and looking at every picture and word. And some kids don't necessarily need to do that. So that's one thing I would keep in mind as far as keeping kids engaged with like morning meeting or class read alouds. There are some strategies I like to use aside from dialogic reading. One fun thing I like to do is like creating anticipation. So sometimes I might put, and this would be for kids who are maybe looking at the book, but I might put a post-it note or something to cover certain pictures. And I might say like, what do you think's behind here? Something that's surprising. And then, or I'll hide the page and then suddenly open it up. So it's something that they're waiting for. They're excited to find out what's next. I like to have kids predict what's going to happen in the book. They can look at the cover and we could talk about, what do you think this book's going to be about? And maybe you can see like, all right, I think I'm going to be right. Or, you know, something like that. A lot of kids love that type of competition type of feeling. So I think treating it not just as a book, but also as like a, 
very exciting like toy is something that we can do is like, oh my goodness, this thing is so cool. What's going to be on the next page and things like that. Post-its are a really easy way to do that, but you can definitely just close the book and then open it suddenly. It just depends on how what your book is like. Um, but I think that's a really fun way to get kids interested too. Yeah, I love that. The power of a post-it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes it has to be something that's really grand or, you know, this elaborate planned thing, but the power of a post-it. I think that's what I love about speech <laughs> therapists is that we can just make a therapy lesson out of, of anything, really, because <laughs> there's just so much language in that. But that's such a nice, simple strategy and everybody has a post-it. So I love that. That's really, really good. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about the importance of providing opportunities to all kids. So this is something I've been reading a lot about recently, not just reading development in certain age groups, but also how reading development is taught and facilitated in children with complex communication needs or different disabilities. And what I've been reading, I found out that kids, a lot of times when they enter kindergarten, they've already been exposed to like a thousand or more hours of like meaningful experiences with print. So even just pointing out signs, looking at books, anything like that. And the numbers for children with complex communication needs and different disabilities are much lower. And it's just that they're not being provided with those opportunities. So I think it's um, the importance of providing opportunities is as professionals is to remember, you know, I don't know exactly how many hours you might need or that you've already had or that you will have, but I am with you during this hour and I have a chance to provide you with exposure to those things. And sometimes if they're not exposed enough, that's how we learn to read. And so if we're in entering kindergarten with little to no exposure to print, that's going to really make it a lot harder for kids to learn how to read in the future. And it's going to make school not as fun and um, more challenging. So I think remembering that our students with disabilities do get less opportunities, it's important for us as professionals to be there to provide those. Yeah, I love that because I think sometimes as professionals, we might be really overwhelmed, especially mm -hmm. with a student who's either autistic or has other complex needs. And we may be thinking, oh my gosh, this student isn't able to communicate spontaneously on their own. Maybe mm -hmm. this book is too much for them. But we need mm -hmm. to be remembering that it's exposure. We're creating a happy environment where, mm -hmm. you know, we want our students to love literacy because we know that that is such a foundational skill mm -hmm. for more advanced learning. So I love that as just a reminder to think about, huh, when have I used books in therapy? You know, mm -hmm. if I'm not doing it now, how can I incorporate more of that? And that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be tied to a, a particular IEP goal, that it could be just, mm -hmm. you know, almost like a reinforcement. Like you said, the book could be thought of as like an interactive toy because mm -hmm. if you got a post-it note, I mean, that's <laughs> kind of like a game that you can set up. So I really like that idea because I think sometimes we get overwhelmed as therapy providers thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to work on this? And how am I going to do that? And the student is not able to do this, this, and this. When we really need to kind of get back to these basics of, oh my gosh, you know, like a lot of kids like to read and we're always telling parents like, you know, exposure to literacy and read mm -hmm. a book a day and all those different things. So I think it's good kind of to reflect on our own practices. So yeah, that's, and that's a good thought. If parents have like, I have a lot of toys that have letters on them. That's a good way to expose them to print. I have books all over the place in my room. Even if we're not reading them, they're seeing that they're mm -hmm. there. 
And I have like a lot of like blocks that have letters or toys where we look at the box and look at the words. So even if you're not reading a book or if maybe there's a parent who says like, my child does not like to look at this book, Mm -hmm. you can even start with just toys that have print on them. Point out the Mm -hmm. words on the box of a toy or on a cereal box or on signs that you're driving by. There's lots of ways to expose them to that without necessarily sitting down to read a book if that's not something that is accessible to you right now. Yeah, that's a good thought. And there are other things too. I don't know your thoughts on Epic books. It's, I know that I do. Okay. (laughs) I access that for free um, through my work, but my own Mm -hmm. daughter is in first grade and and actually my fourth grader accesses that too. But Epic books is, I think it's free. I'm pretty sure it's free. It's free for, I don't know what it is for parents. I know for educators, it's free. So if you have an educator email, Mm -hmm. then you can get that. But yeah, that's a great resource too. I use that for my kids doing teletherapy. Okay. Yeah. So Epic Books is online. It's uh, literacy based and they have all different types of book. I have used it too for teletherapy and I've used it for older students where the reinforcement is actually just going through and reading some fun books that maybe have their speech sounds. So a different Mm -hmm. type of learner. I mean, I've also used it for students. They have this read to me section, which is really cool. And it has any type of topic that you would want to cover in your session or with your own child. So that's also something you might want to think about if you have a kid who really likes their iPad. I like books. (laughs) I think books are great. You know, real books. That's how I read to this day. (laughs) But that's kind of my own kids like to read on their iPad using Epic. So yeah, yeah. Good to think about. Okay, cool. Such great information. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. I'm going to end the podcast with my final question that I always end with. And I love to hear how people answer because it's always something different. So what is the most important piece of advice that you would want to pass along to parents or professionals about supporting learners with autism? So I think something that's important to remember is that that phrase, like presuming competence and to keep that in mind, not just with communication, but with literacy as well. So even if your child, maybe you're thinking, well, we need to work on this before we can even touch literacy. I think it's important to remember that we need to, they won't be able to show us if they are interested in it or if they can do it unless we give them that opportunity. And I think it's important to remember that kids have a lot more ability And I think especially kids that have complex communication needs have a lot more understanding and abilities than maybe we know if we haven't given them that chance to show us yet. So I think that's my biggest advice is to always provide those opportunities. Maybe progress will look different for every kid. Sometimes they might not end up reading fluently right away, but they might have that love of books or increase their vocabulary or learn the letters that are in their name. So just keep that in mind. Progress looks different for everyone and never to assume that your child won't understand or won't be interested in it if, if we haven't given them that chance to show us. Yes, I love that so much. Well, such great information today. I'm so glad that we got to connect. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and make sure to check the show notes for resources we discussed. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to hit subscribe and write a review. Remember to keep things fun and functional and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? 
Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.